The following transmission contains unencrypted instances of explicit language. Mature audiences are cleared to proceed. Moira, run analysis on Fort Red Border. Robert Redford. Now give me ironized piety. Sydney Poitier. Okay. How about higher pro vixen, mendy all my corn, and data driven shirt? River Phoenix. Mary McDonnell. David Straven. Hey guys, I was just checking in to see if you guys were uh, ready to do the sneakers episode. Yeah, but uh, yeah, check this out. Moira, give me leg be skinny. Ben Kingsley. So you guys are ready. We're easy. What? I think he means yes we are. Shall we begin? Sneakers really does showcase the bleeding edge of data tech right as it existed just before the explosion of the World Wide Web. It's full of charmingly antiquated modem technology as well as references to the old phone freak culture that snaked its way up around the old system and eventually embedded itself into the development of the internet as we know it now. I'm Todd. And I'm Dave and we like to talk about spy movies. And we are likely never, I repeat, never going to see this much star power in a spy comedy ever again in this episode of Spies Like Us. Uh, 1992, a contemporary film. It is literally just post-Cold War, because we're talking uh, Herbert Walker in the White House, right? Yeah. Again, it's a really good example of just how diverse movies were in the 90s. I know we've mentioned this before. I just feel like we have to mention it again every time it comes up, because these lists are crazy. Why don't you read us some? Uh, Reservoir Dogs, A League of Their Own, A Few Good Men, Unforgiven, My Cousin Vinny, Wayne's World, Last of the Mohicans, Basic Instinct, The Bodyguard, The Crying Game, Chaplin, Malcolm X. I mean, these are all over the board. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this is the year where uh, Best Picture was Silence of the Lambs. Oh, that was a good one. (laughs) It's a really good one. Yeah. Might be one of the best movies of all time. I think there was supposed to be a TV series from NBC in 2016, but that actually never happened. I know that's like the big thing where like they're redoing old movies and the TV shows these days. I think that would have been a lot of fun, but uh, damn, a lot of fun. Yeah, (laughs) but you know, this is really a heist movie. Uh, There's a lot of spy aspects to it and quite a bit of tradecraft to talk about, but a lot of the characters are ex-intelligence or con men or some some sort of place where they would fit for this type of a story. A lot of hackers. Yes, lots of hackers. I'm really surprised that the director of this film, who also wrote it, by the way, didn't make a shit ton more movies in this style. Um, doesn't really direct anything after this except some of all fears, but uh, he's still busy. Uh, most recently is the creator of the Good Fight TV show, which I haven't seen, but I hear really good things about. And, and you know, what this all, like, the, just how the cast is, like, super all-star caliber. Um, definitely a script like this good uh, would, would, would be able to handle that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, he had some help with the script from uh, the two writers of War Games. You know that movie, right? Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen it since, I was, since it came out, and that was a long time ago, but, yeah. yeah me neither. I wonder if it would fit for spies like us somewhere. We should definitely take a look. We should take a look. But uh, yeah, that's another movie that, like this one, is like very steeped in the 
like the just before the internet as we know it kind of hacking culture. Right. And sneakers is really interesting, I think, as a piece of cultural reference to that specific time in technology. It was like, I don't know, like, uh, I mean, the, the internet technically like exists since like what, the 60s or something? Yeah, but it was all military. Right. And it doesn't get broadened out and uh, approved for like, uh, like it was, it was regulate. There were regulations that like you couldn't, you didn't have this ISP structure. You didn't have like uh, anybody uh, providing internet services for commercial ventures until like right after this. So this is still when like the internet is a very like dark and mysterious thing and often hacking into it is not just a matter of like, I don't know, typing in the right password or something, but you have, you actually have to like kind of get in and fuck with the hardware itself that that the uh, communications are are running on. Yeah, it wasn't just software. Uh, you really had to know your stuff. You had to know like electronics and communications. You had like really on the lowest level possible of of uh, I guess computer communication. Like you had to understand how the hardware worked, opening and closing gates and stuff like that. So it was kind of cool that we had tons of scenes where they really got into the tech nitty gritty. Yeah, even decades later, people that are in the know really actually really respect the tech of of the movie sneakers. Even even though it's like super old technology, it looks like to us, but it, it's still fun to watch. Yeah, and they had uh, uh, some really heavyweight consultants in encryption, like some some really big names, some people I don't know all the history of tech but just as as researching this like uh there are people that if you if you're really into the development of uh uh computers and especially like encryption and security protocols uh you you go gaga over this movie for instance like all the math that you see in the mathematicians presentation that uh what's his name martin and liz go to that's all legit stuff it's not gobbledygook yeah it looked looked pretty serious real formulas and um yeah and apparently like you know the stuff that you see flying over whistler's screen while he's doing his hacking and stuff like that's all that's all like legit terminology and 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 codes and protocols and not just some stuff that uh like you had an intern like bang out to to just kind of have something on the screen for the audience to look at and i think uh supposedly there's tons of easter eggs in this in this movie for that whole tech group, uh, that old school tech. I mean, there's probably way too many to even go over in the podcast. Did you know about the, uh, Captain Crunch reference? That's one. Of no, the that's one of the big cool ones. You know, as they're searching through, uh, Ned's trash, uh, as they're trying to like figure out how they're going to, uh, leverage him or, or, uh, whatever they're going to do, you know, right. figure out how to get his card or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, uh, Captain Crunch box is like prominently shown there, and that is like not just there to be there. That's a specific reference to um, there's uh, one of the old like like the granddaddy of all granddaddies of hackers was a guy named Captain Crunch, and he got that name because he had figured out that the toy whistle that was provided in Captain Crunch boxes of the time could be used to fool um, like the phone system. And and that was one of the uh, oh really original, yeah original kick ass like phone freaking uh, hacks oh wow 
That's a really, really cool uh, tidbit. That's funny. And, and supposedly, like, supposedly the character Cosmo is inspired by, not necessarily based on, but inspired on uh, Captain Crunch. Yeah, I know that uh, Whistler was based on a real guy too. There was a blind phone freak that uh, that was able to pull the phone just by whistling, and he had apparently like perfect pitch. Uh, that, that that I mean, when when we found that out, I, I was super excited about that. That's kind of like really cool that somebody's able to do that. Perfect pitch on its own is really difficult, but to even just like like fake the phone sounds to like. I guess trick phone systems. That's 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 really tough. And hence, that's how he gets the name Whistler. It would have been really cool to see that trick done in the movie. I think. Yeah, that would have been fun. But yeah, lots lots of weird stuff like that. Names of characters and little references. Uh, there's a lot of Easter eggs too that are not necessarily tech related. Like the fact I think uh, Martin Bishop is Robert Redford's uh, alias, and in the movie like Three Doors, Three Days of the Condor. There was uh, like a list of casualties from the explosion of his CIA office, something mm-hmm. like that. I haven't actually seen the movie yet. And the last two names on the list are Martin and Bishop. Oh, that's cool. And uh, Dan Aykroyd's character's mother, and that was James Angleton's code name. I'm not sure if that's directly what they were going for, because uh, his character isn't exactly CIA. But uh, it was kind of cool that they used that. That would yeah, be my he- guess. But he's obsessed with conspiracies, and wasn't that true of Angleton? That's true. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. He uh, he was James Angleton went on a witch hunt after they found out that Kim Philby was a triple agent, and that was like one of his closest friends or whatever. He went like on a full blast witch hunt for communists, and even found more moles in the CIA than were expected. Last thing I wanted to note uh, about this movie and like its its place in in tech history is that uh, you know like they were aware of this at the time. This is the movie they were consciously building, and uh, they even went so far as to make the the press kit was uh, released to journalists on a three by five or three point five inch floppy disk, and that was the first digital press kit mm-hmm. in history. So so they were really trying to underline the. Uh, uh, that this is a tech movie. The director uh, went like live online to answer the questions of early net users, and that was also something that was just new at the time to like, uh, you know, well, I don't know really what, cool. what would be the parallel of that now is like they would do a like a like a ask me anything on Reddit yeah, or something. Right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So the, yeah. these these were the first people to think of that even way back then. Oh, that's cool. A CompuServe? Wow. That's that's a name I haven't heard in a while. <laughs> it does yeah. take, does take I, me back. Yeah, I just saw that. Yeah, he, he went on through CompuServe. Wow. Wow. That's that's a name I've not heard in a while. Uh, There's a couple other notes I wanted, just general notes about the movie I wanted to make uh, before we go to the briefing room. Uh, one of which was... I was really... I was kind of... I was surprised to see that this movie... Uh, comes out before Mission Impossible. In yeah. fact, it comes out before Mission Impossible by six years. Because the kind of stuff they do, especially on the final op, like almost it. when I look at that, that feels like they're ripping off Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it? Yeah. It, there's a lot of moments where you feel like, wow, this is like another Mission Impossible, but 
I, I well, I think I brought that up to you that that like they could have gotten it from the show, and you had told me no, the old show was never that that crazy. It was only the movies where they were pulling off stunts like that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Like the the TV show was mostly like using the masks, and they would uh-huh. like they would like um, they would do that kind of thing where like you you drug someone or something, and then they like wake up in their in their office, but it's not really their office. Yeah, <laughs> and, they, and they've made like a whole elaborate like set and recreated everything perfectly, and the people around them are wearing masks to look like the people. You know, it was all like psychological manipulation. Oh, that's interesting. They, didn't, they didn't do the weird kind of Tom Cruise like dropping in through the ceiling kind of kind of stuff. At least as far as I remember. Right, 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 right. Be wrong about that, but we're definitely going to do that TV show one of these days. Absolutely. And uh, uh, yeah, I really just could not think of or find or remember uh, a movie that had done this kind of like elaborate, I don't know, elect electronic and hacking based heist kind of stuff well a lot of this tech was pretty uh i guess hidden from the public i don't i don't think a lot of the public would have known this type of stuff even when this film came out i mean like the per the the personal computer internet days of aol was like what mid 90s so i think the general public was not aware of the level of tech that was out there yeah, for its time, this is again like really like bleeding edge stuff. Yeah. And uh, last thing I wanted to say is we got a really diverse cast here, uh, and I think it's a, I think it's a, very much to the movie's credit, to the director's credit, and everything that like they managed to get all these people with all these diverse talents, and some of them that are capable of doing like much more serious work than this, right? Uh, but that they, they managed to get everybody like right on the same tone, you know, the same kind of like light. It's it's light, but uh, I, I don't know. This this movie, there's a bunch of things where like if if something was played a little too serious, it would seem wrong, and if something mm. was played a little too goofy, it would feel wrong. But everyone just manages to color inside the lines. Yeah, it, I mean, it was definitely a heavyweight cast, and yeah, you're right. The characters they're playing weren't like like uh, Oscar worthy characters, but these are all like all star cast members, you know. And uh so I think I think uh I, I think they, they really played well off of each other. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. So um we might talk more about the individual actors uh in the briefing room. I think we're gonna hit this one character by character. Mm-hmm. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Voice pattern recognized. Retinal scan complete. Validating security clearance. Clearance granted. You may now enter the briefing room. Let's start off by talking about our main character, who's played by Robert Redford. And I wanted to ask you, David, what's your, uh, I don't know, general history with, opinion of Robert Redford is, in general? Uh, my... my personal experiences which is based on my parents and my uncle because they they grew up more with robert redford as like this big star but i remember seeing this film several times as a kid because they always wanted to watch it because you know the cast and so this is that this is actually how i was introduced to redford uh my personal other experiences was seeing him in spy game 
Um, was he in The Sting? He is in The Sting. That's one of the movies I really like him in. Yeah, and so the, the, those those are my experiences. But uh, the 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 big heartthrob or a uh, huge name star that uh, I, I guess our parents' generation knew him as. Uh, I didn't have that experience. Mine was more kind of uh, inherited, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, same for me. Um, it was definitely like my parents that uh, made sure that I saw The Sting and also Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Tell me you've seen that movie. Oh, yeah. That's right. I totally forgot he was in that, too. Yes, I definitely have seen Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. That's right. a great movie. <laughs> so I grew up knowing who he was. And, you know, I looked him up on, on IMDb, and I see that he has actually worked a lot more than I thought he was, like, like since his stuff in the 70s. But mm-hmm. he tends to show up in a lot of movies that I just don't really care that much about, mm-hmm. with some minor exceptions like this one. Uh, and uh, I, did, I did think he, was a, he did a cool little turn as the villain in uh, Winter Soldier. That was kind of cute to see. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he's got chops. I like I like Rob. In Sneakers, Martin Bryce is the character that Robert Redford plays. Uh, it starts out in the 70s where him and his friend are kind of hacking into Republican servers and financial accounts to uh, transfer large amounts, amounts of their money into you know, left-wing revolutionary cases. Uh, but that plan gets botched, and he has to escape to Canada and returns to America as Martin Bishop, in a new alias, who are, uh, we're led to believe the government has no files on whatsoever. Uh, so he's obviously very talented if he's able to like create this kind of character that even the government hasn't been able to figure it out. Now, he runs this security kind of business where he breaks into uh, high-end businesses to show them their security, I guess, leaks or weaknesses. Um, And by the way, sneakers actually turns out to be the exact term for that kind of work that they did at the time. Uh, We we thought it was just kind of like a goofy name for the movie, but apparently that was actually what you would call a team like this. I think nowadays, something like that, they'd be called uh, ethical hackers. I actually have a couple friends that do that, that uh, will work for large tech companies and they, they purposely try and break into the company's computer systems, but it's all digital. This team actually physically broke into banks and uh, were able to steal money without getting caught type of thing. And, and that's what they got paid to do. Martin Bishop is kind of the point man for the team. He's the leader that kind of makes all the decisions, I guess. You know, he'd be like kind of the, 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 the shot caller of the business. But he's not really the tech guy. He, he's more specialized in humans, which is, you know, short for human intelligence. He, he's this charismatic that's really like thinks really quickly on his feet and he uh, knows how to like get people to kind of do things. He's a really street smart type of guy. Uh, but he also knows like how to let his team uh, uh, work with their specialties and support the team. So it's not like he's like this one man superstar show. You know, you know, he's not like, like uh, uh, he's not like the Kobe of the team. Like, like he knows his place on the team and even though he's kind of calling the shots, he 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 knows that the rest of the team is really important. Uh, 
And, you know, they often are the ones behind the scenes guiding him, even though he's out talking to people, they'll be talk, communicating to him over a radio and it was here, uh, helping him out with information. Yeah. He does a really good job of just being like the point of the spear. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, like he's not a one man show and he has these lackeys. Like he's actually, he, he trusts his teammates and, and he's brought them in for very specific reasons because of their talents. And he, and he respects how good they are at it. Um, he does get duped by our goons, uh, our, our main boss's goons in the story of sneakers. He gets duped into stealing a box, which we'll definitely talk quite a bit about later when we get into them. And by goons, that's just our pet name for the, for the two dudes that uh, poses NSA guys to talk him into uh, uh, getting that black box for him. Right, and they really go to town on him, and uh, we'll, we're definitely going to go into depth with that. They'll get their own section. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the first op that they, that they talk him into doing is just, you know, recovering this black, op, this black box, and it's a fairly straightforward and simple op. The movie maybe makes it look a little more complicated than necessary, but I think that that was just structured out to, to make sure that we uh, are walked through and kind of see what the different talents of his team are and how they uh, support him. When they, they do a whole surveillance scene to find out the person, to get information, they find the location. Uh, they actually pull this really, really cool trick in the lobby to get into. I, I guess it's a condo, but it's one of those really, really uh, high-end condos that are like got a heavy security lobby system. And they they really run this play. Hey, come on, come me some slack. I'm gonna get fired here, you know. Well, River Phoenix plays that character. Martin Bishop runs up. And he's like, "Hey, did my wife leave a cake here?" And and the concierge is like, "No." And then he just goes back to arguing. Then you hear a car honk, and he goes, "Oh, there she is." And he runs out, runs back in with a giant box of cake with balloons. Meanwhile, the concierge is still arguing with River Phoenix. And and Martin Bishop just runs in and is just like, just ring the buzzer. What what you like the most is like how elaborately they set it up like in the first part. Like like the, the fact he, he shows up early in the scene and then shows up later so that it's all like set up in the guy's head. Right. He's already kind of planted and it, and it's not like a one man show. You have you have uh, River Phoenix's character pretending to be the delivery guy with like tens of boxes like hey you know i'm just doing my job uh let me in you know and someone's got to be outside to honk the horn at the right time exactly and 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 here it is it's it's a very believable scene the the guy brings in a giant cake with balloons he's like look there's a party they need me i didn't bring my keys down i was in a rush you saw me i asked for the cake you know, so I'm putting this as actually, and I know it's a little early to be giving us our number one, but this is definitely my number one best trade craft. Uh, I, I just love how elaborately played out this was, how they were able to, instead of physically breaking in to, to this huge building in a number of different ways, they just kind of got through the security by creating this kind of quick little cute story and it worked. And I think, I think it's very believable that this type of thing would work. Sure. And I like, uh, you know, besides that, I mean, I guess the, his main skill that he seems to have is that he just thinks quickly on his feet and, uh, you know, can improvise when, when uh, people are asking him tough questions. 
Right. Uh, like when, when he runs into the lady at the condo uh, and it was totally unexpected. He he was able, even though he had his team kind of whispering in his ear, he was able to come up with stuff in the moment to try and explain why he was there. Right. And that's why you put him on that job. Now, uh, when they get the box, he finds out that uh, those NSA goons, uh, turns out they actually weren't actually NSA and they were actually the bad guys and they were trying to get it for themselves. Um, and that actually sets up a whole different situation. Uh, and this, and, and Martin Bishop isn't completely the, this invincible point man. Um, they, you know, actually one of my worst trade crafts is, uh, there's a point in the film where, um, he's talking to this, uh, Russian ambassador type who actually used to work for the, or still works for the KGB, but they know each other somehow. And we'll, we'll get into him later, but he had an opportunity to get asylum because they get pulled over by the FBI. But that, that whole scene, it didn't make sense why the FBI would pull over the Russian guy to specifically pick him up. And I think it was a really dangerous situation. And even though it looked like the Russian guy was trying to force him into asylum, he wouldn't have lost anything really, and it would have given him time to figure things out. And he could have always left, I guess. I don't know. It's weird, but I, I marked that as my number two word tradecraft. So he's not—he's not like completely invincible, like in a lot of spy, you know, like the Bond films, or like like when we did our man Flint, where it's just the guy can never make a mistake. So it's—it really humanized uh, Martin Bishop quite a bit. Yeah, I like the fact he's definitely not an action hero. My number one worst tradecraft is also going to get pinned on Martin, but I don't want to talk about it right now because uh, it comes way at the end, way at the end of the movie. Okay. So we'll, be, we'll <laughs> be covering that in part two. Okay. Next up, we got Crease, the, uh, which I love that name, by the way. And uh, for this one, we get Sidney Poitier, the the star power of this movie, just keeps going wah, 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 wah. way up Um, this is actually one of his last uh, movies for the theater he did some TV movies after this uh, and only a few Um, and he had actually been gone from acting for over 10 years at the time he comes back and does sneakers and I gotta say the man has sure not missed a step Um, I really Sidney Poitier I actually haven't seen any of his old movies I know, or I didn't know, but like in a, if you would put me in a trivia situation and you'd ask me, for instance, like who was the first um, black actor to to win uh, the Oscar for for best acting, like I would have guessed Sidney Poitier, and uh, it turns out I would have been right. Um, I saw in my research he's you know considered the first black movie star. I just I just don't know his work, but uh, if just this. Little, like, you know, not not tiny, but small-ish role. If this is any indication, like, I can see. Like, this man can fucking act. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and like, just seeing him act after 10 years, and he's still kind of that much of a powerhouse on screen. was It's impressive. Very impressive. impressive. In Sneakers, he plays kind of like the second-in-command, but I don't know, you get the feeling that the amount of respect martin bishop gives him it, it, he's more like of a peer i mean because uh you know crease was ex-cia and is is definitely nothing to sneer at and w- when you see martin off doing things 
Kreese is in the van calling the shots. So he's kind of like a like I guess a intelligence analyst and a strategist. You know, elder when, advisor. Elder elder advisor. He's been in a number of different situations. You can tell the guy has got a tons of experience. So anytime anything's going on, he's he's kind of thinking out the situation and making like really big decisions and and a, a lot of a lot of big recommendations and people just go along with what he says. So it, know, it's even even though Martin kind of I guess owns the business, Chris Chris pretty much makes a lot of decisions. He's analogous to glasses in our recent Munich episode, whereas that guy said, you know, like, you know, what what's what's your job and the guy's like I worry. And Crease uh, Crease does the most worrying. Yeah, he definitely yeah. worries about everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah, everything's a big risk. Everything, yeah. And, and uh, so he he does, and and you know, especially for how much of a much he worries, huge plus spy points. Uh, the, that night that they find out, um, Liz uh, learned about the black box, and they and they found out that somebody sold out Martin, and she was one of the people that knew Martin's secret. He didn't let anybody leave, including Liz. You're, talk, you're talking about when they found out just how dangerous and powerful this black box. The, the black was. box was that they could shut down Federal Reserve. They could change like uh, air traffic control stuff. So he he doesn't let. He goes on full lockdown. Nobody leaves the building till we get this box secured somewhere. And you've heard me in a bunch of our podcast episodes complaining about how little people are concerned about things. Yeah. Right, and especially right. since, yeah. yeah, especially since when we talked about you brought up Munich, the warrior guy, he was the one that completely didn't was was indiscreet about that honey trap and gets himself killed, and he's the one that's supposed to worry about everything, you know. So I really liked that they had Crease be very concerned, go full lockdown, no one's leaving till we figure I, out what's going on. I couldn't see any other member of the group stepping up to do that because you know uh, the Mary McDonald character. Uh, Liz, that's that's their friend, you know. Right. Like I can't see any of the other ones uh, saying like, "Nope, you are not leaving." Uh, but uh, yeah, Chris is the guy. He's taking no chances. That's why he gets the spy point. Yeah, and she probably wouldn't if Martin was the one that tried to tell her that she's not leaving. She would have been like, you know, get out of here. But you know, I think it's different <laughs> that Chris, you know, it's a, it's a, it has a different gravitas to it having Chris be the one to tell her she's not leaving. Yeah, so that was good. I got, uh, I do got a bit of minus spy points though, and you know, I don't have to pin it on Crease, but I think I will just because I feel like, again, we just talked about it. he's the one that's supposed to be, you know, the warrior, uh, and I think you always need someone uh, in that role of always thinking of like what's the worst that could happen, and 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 looking out for that, and uh, you know. I mean, we have the scene where Martin delivers the black box, and that's where when Crease uh, just happens to notice that the the newspaper has like, I guess, I, I mean, it was like a front page story uh, in the car which, that they used to like deliver the box. Right? Yeah, which I don't, I don't even know why that's a front page story, but uh, it it happens to be, and we already know he's freaked out that you know. He's even before they found out how bad and dangerous the black box would be, like he didn't even want to take the job in the first place, knowing that they were tangling with foreign governments. That's not what right. this team is spec'd for, you know? I mean, he was talking about the fact that they could be 
dealing with people that would kill them even before they knew about the black box, even before they took the job. And I think that if you're doing that, like one of the, uh, I don't know, just one of the steps you take is start paying attention to the news, you know, read the newspaper every day, see if the Russians are in town, see if the, you know, what the, uh, who are the guys that kill uh, the doctor in Back to the Future? The Libyans? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Find out if the Libyans are in town or something. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, just that kind of thing. So, slight minus five points on here. Slipped on that. And um, that, by the way, I think that's a job you give to Carl. That seems like Carl's kind of kind of gig, you know. Carl kind of sometimes feels like the intern. We're talking about the River Phoenix character here. Yeah, he's kind of like the intern and uh, gopher kind of guy of the group. And I think that's you know the the job you give to him as soon as they get involved in this stuff. You say like, "Hey, Carl, you know, uh, subs- you know, get these every day. Go out and get this newspaper, this newspaper, this newspaper. Scan it for anything that might be relevant to us." And if you find anything, bring it up. Final note on Crease. Uh, he's the only guy that actually does any kind of violence in the film. Um, you know, when he, like, disarms the distracted guards at the toy company. Like, he's probably the only person that, like, would be any good in a fight, even though this movie is definitely not about fighting. Unless, you know, it really Calvin... wasn't. There wasn't a whole lot of violence whatsoever, which is really interesting because there's, like, a whole, like, soapbox speech towards the end about... Oh, it's not about guns anymore. It's about information. So I think thematically they did that on purpose. It's a cute movie that way. And I feel like modern movies tackling the same thing. I feel like you would be getting studio pressure to put in some more action scenes. Yeah. Um, But uh, they they very wisely, in my opinion, stay away from that uh, in here. And um, yeah, and then like there's one other thing, which is... um, you know, there's we got Carl, who's going to be our next topic, uh, who like his he's advertised as as the hacker of the group, right? I mean, that's kind of like what they talk about, like when the goons are going over, like uh, talking to Martin about like all the uh, history of his team and stuff. That's the only thing we find out about him is that he hacked into his uh, high school to change his grades. To change right? his grades, right? Yeah, but he doesn't really do a whole lot of hacking doesn't and there's three hacking jobs in the movie that carl was right there like in the room available hey i'm your hacker but yeah. uh crease crease does two of those would have given carl a little more depth if we'd got i think we would have respected carl more as an audience if he had done all the hacking jobs in the movie he yeah. does do one he does do the um he hacks the DMV when they're when they're trying to find out everything they can about Ned. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. And um, he's got that little black book full of server phone numbers. And remember, back to the tech of this movie. This is back like uh, before URLs. When to contact a computer, you did it through a modem, which meant doing it through the phone line, which meant like all the servers had it literally a phone number instead of a web address because the world wide web doesn't doesn't or at least and maybe it just come out or just comes out after this but uh yeah it's still a time when you do phone numbers to to hack into computers yeah now it's uh like the ip address or something yeah 
You want to tell us what else Carl does? Oh, well, he's the one that got the blueprints, right? Uh, what he does is he kind of went to the, I guess, county records or public records and paid off somebody like 50 bucks to get the blueprints for the, what was it, the building, the toy building layouts? Yes, sir. And I believe you were telling me that this is uh, known as uh, open source intelligence and geo intelligence. Is this these kind of jobs? You want to talk about that a little? Yeah, I don't. I don't know how much uh, open source this would be because if you had to pay the guy off, he wouldn't legally have access to those blueprints. I guess. But uh, it is. I guess if it's in the public register, it would be. I'm not sure. But the geo int definitely because it's about a location and the layout of that location. So he basically acquires that type of information. Uh, I don't know if you, for, for GeoIn, it's just, uh, you know, like if they have satellite imagery or like planes take pictures over a thing, but it's, uh, this type of instance, it would be the same thing because it's the layout of a location and different specific pieces of information about a location. Yeah, he seems to have that pretty well covered as yeah. well as doing his gopher work and distraction stuff. And, and basically also doing like, I, I don't know, I see like some crossover with uh, the stuff that uh, Carl and Mother do. But before we go on to Mother, which is played by Dan Aykroyd, um, uh, we got to point out that uh, this is like, uh, this is a sad-ish movie to see Phoenix in. Because oh, yeah. he dies the following year. And his star was really really rocketing at the time yeah he was really popular so his death was like a big deal i remember it was like on the news for weeks yeah at the time it felt like 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 a major yeah just real real tragedy i mean it was the it was the the losing heat ledger of that decade right yeah that kind of thing um i think he does i think he does a capable job in a fairly ho-hum role uh you were kind of down on him as, as being not that interesting, but uh, I, I didn't, I did note that uh, he had said that he took this role actually like specifically because he just wanted to do an easy acting role, something that wasn't very demanding because he was still like feeling uh, kind of like, okay. like freaked out over getting so much into the psychosis of his character in the previous movie that he'd done, which was my own private Idaho. Mm-hmm which I think was the one that was like really, I think he got Oscar attention for that one. Oh, so that might explain it. He just wanted a quick, easy break, you know, after working so hard on that one. Literally, quote, a low-stress money gig. <laughs> which was him for this movie. Right. Ackroyd plays mother, who's our hardware tech specialist. What he'll do is he'll wire in a bank phone list so Whistler can receive guard calls for an alarm, runs a lot of surveillance, like getting a listening device up close to the mathematician's office, running the directional mic at the toy company, you know, major plus buy points, you know, for the, the voice stress meter polygraph that he like created when they uh, call the NSA. Yeah, it was, uh, it, you know, the scene in the movie didn't actually accomplish much. Uh, it, yeah, like, I mean, they didn't accomplish very much with that phone call. As the audience, you know, we, like, uh, we appreciate that, that scene quite a bit. But, yeah, just I, I just like using that voice stress meter. And I, I like that he specifies that it's not, you know, like, 
it's not literally a polygraph, but it should be able to tell. And just that scene where they're they're confirming to to Bishop on the line, like, "Yep, he's telling the truth. Yeah, he's telling the <laughs> truth. He's lying." <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was really sophisticated. I I don't even want to know the math behind that. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, some more plus spy points. Do you think, do you, do you oh, think that's do you think that exists? I'm sure it's got to exist. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's not as reliable as they make it in the movie. Uh, but I'm sure something makeshift like that c- could exist and be some have. There's got to be some level of accuracy to it, uh, especially it, when well, it might even be more sophisticated these days because of the like milestones in linguistics and in speech stresses and stuff like that. There, there, there's experts on that type of stuff. So I'm sure. You know, with a lot of the crossover disciplines these days, that that it, I, I just don't think it would be as accurate as they made the movie look. I'll bet you, at the very least, with uh, like dig, you know, now that voice is all carried digitally and and you can store it, you know, and and run analysis on it later. I'm sure mm-hmm. that they could do like um, fairly, you know, again, like nothing that's gonna like stand up in court or anything yeah. like that, but like you know, fairly good guesses. As to uh, you know the stress level of of a person, especially if you have time to like run it through computers, and if you have like a lot of baseline, uh, you know, regular conversations from the person. Yeah, uh, I'm also here to give uh, Mother my number two best trade craft, uh, which is where uh, this is the part where they have uh, sonically kind of uh isolated where the uh ben kingsley's office is and that's where they know the black box will be kept um but then they're also he's uh just doing like 24 hour recording of the outside of the building and just watching like which lights go off in which windows and who comes out at which times and just keeping records keeping records and from this he can deduce like who the person is that works in the office that they want to target. And uh, from there to get that guy's uh, license plate. And from there, they're like off to the races. Now they can like, you know, do their DMV checks and credit report checks and really set up the op. Yeah, that was really cool. I really liked uh, that whole scene where he's like zooming in and it, it was really cool how they did that. And it was, it was totally just him watching the videos, figuring out, okay, here's a time period. This is the guy we should probably target. Yeah, he got my number three and number two best because these were the most, I don't know, interesting spy-related stuff that I could find in the movie. I do have a number one floating around here somewhere. Oh, yeah, I remember what it is. But, uh, yeah, just as far as, as spy stuff, uh, yeah, I think Mother, he's, he's on top of his shit. Uh, I did enjoy seeing Aykroyd in the film. Uh, he pretty much quit starring in stuff by this point, but he's always fun to He's just, I don't know, he's a guy that even though he's not a great actor and he's got kind of a stilted delivery in a lot of stuff, but there's just something kind of enjoyable about watching him, don't you think? Absolutely. I, I'm always happy to see Aykroyd. And it's uh, it's another, like, uh, I don't know, it's just really cool not to, to use him as the, like, conspiracy theorist in this group. Uh, because Dan Aykroyd is, and you didn't know this until I told you, but, uh, no, yeah, 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 he's absolutely like probably the most high profile celebrity that is 
deep into conspiracy theories, like very public profile conspiracy uh, theories. Definitely fits the bill for him, I guess. Yeah, and he gets some. They get some fun interaction with him and uh, Sidney Poitier. Yeah, and it was nice to see him. Yeah, it's always great to see Ackroyd. You know, just to add to this like huge cast. <laughs> and we got one more guy. Yeah, let's talk about our MVP. David Strathern is Whistler. So as we were talking about earlier, he's he's the blind, he's based on the real Whistler, who was a blind phone freak that had perfect pitch. I think the guy. I think the guy's actual name was like Puffy Dragon or something. Oh really? He oh, his name called, wasn't Whistler. No, he wasn't called Whistler. The reason oh. that this character's name is Whistler, though, is to be a callback to the fact that the real guy, Puffy Dragon, was famous for being able to whistle into phones and fool the telecom system that way oh wow it's just another one of those easter eggs which this movie is just full of yeah it's like never ending when we first meet him he's actually reading a braille version of playboy which is hilarious yeah and i checked that out by the way that's legit really yep i i love that and i loved finding out it was real i also love his snazzy ass braille computer that was little... one of the coolest things ever. The the keyboard. Oh man. I wonder how real that is. Uh, hey, like totally real. Totally oh, real. Oh really? Yeah, it's wow. got the, the little keys that shoot like dynamically shoot the little pins up through holes mm-hmm. to change to, to change the letters and so you yeah. can read uh text that way. Mm-hmm. Um the only thing I also though that I did find out about it is that they're insanely expensive and they don't last long. Uh, that sucks. I, well, I would imagine so. There's a lot of moving parts on that. Yeah, right. And a lot of contact with the fingers is going to mess up those like tiny. That should. The, the mechanics of that must be so incredibly delicate. Yeah. And uh, I just noticed, by the way, I I don't know I don't know where I came up with Puffy Dragon, <laughs> but uh, no, I see here now uh, that it was uh, he was Joseph Carl Andresia Jr. And uh, his uh, his phone freak tag was Joy Bubbles. He's possibly the second most famous uh, phone freak after Captain Crunch, in fact. Well, that keyboard, he's actually the one that figures out how big of a deal the black box is. And he when he hooks up the, the dynamic Braille keyboard, um, and, and, he, and he figures out that he can, wait, start routing the, the black box to take over the Federal Reserve... Uh, air traffic control. Uh, oh, and the, and uh, what was it like the 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 power for for New England? Yeah, all these all these things that make us realize just how dangerous this black box is. And I know you wanted to give him plus five points for that. Definitely, which is, which is cool. Uh, he does uh, he does all sorts of telecommunications stuff. I was really impressed with like how much work they gave him to do. You know, like like I was saying before, like I feel like they didn't give Carl enough stuff to do. Um, they don't; they're not shy about heaping really cool, uh, you know, phone freak hacking type tradecraft stuff on Whistler, which again just goes back to this whole thing of this movie being about like that time in tech. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's also our MVP because Strathern's performance, and this is the guy. I mean, this is the guy out of the entire cast, like 
I couldn't have told you what his name was. If you yeah. asked me to name <laughs> all the actors in this movie, I would have named everyone except him. I would have said, you know, there was Poitier, Redford, McConnell, Ackroyd, Phoenix, and a black guy, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. oh, and Ben Kingsley was in there. But yeah. I really like, I really, really dig his performance in here. I'm not sure exactly, like, it might be one of those things where, like, you know, like, uh, people are always making fun of actors for um, like playing mentally handicapped people Mm -hmm. as, as like their thing that really shows off their cases. Like some people really like kind of make fun of that. Mm -hmm. And it might be one of those things where like playing a blind person is actually easier than it might appear to a non actor like myself, Mm -hmm. but he really sells it. He does. I he really like it, yeah. not just yeah, not just his uh, like physical like mannerisms, but also just the way his fingers move and the way they like climb and and search things out, and it just feels really solid. Yeah, I was even I was even a little surprised. I thought like maybe I would check and see like what are like blind people's favorite most iconic movies or movie roles and i couldn't find this one anywhere on that list it was all all i could find was movies where like a blind person was the star of the movie Mm -hmm. um but i would i would think that blind people would be like you know just as far as representation or especially if you were like a young blind person you know and um well there's a helen keller movie right where uh that's really famous or whatever for, for what you're talking about the the actress that played her as a young Helen Keller walked around with a blindfold for like two weeks or something. Sure, but yeah, I would say like if you you know if you were someone that had like a young blind person in your life or something like this is a movie you would really be excited to show them or yeah. not <laughs> show in quotes. And that will conclude our tradecraft analysis of Martin Bishop and his ragtag team. Uh, we're gonna break here and catch up with you next week in the follow-up episode we're going to tackle the tradecraft of the villains uh also the henchmen and uh you know look at a handful of the side characters in the movie as always the best way to make sure you don't miss out on that is to hit that subscribe button on itunes google your favorite podcast app also you can find updates on our facebook page or website spieslikeus.net and please if you can help us out and give us some feedback by rating us and leaving comments, we're always trying to improve the show and your thoughts would be a huge help. The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler. <laughs>